Man, it's good to be back. I feel like it's been forever since I preached. I'm excited about 2024. I'm excited about the things we're going to share, the things we're going to talk about. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I think sometimes we, we've gotten lured into thinking salvation only talks about one day in the sweet by and by, right? Like to be saved from, from, from death or perishing or hell. And we think the gospel is the power unto not having to go to hell or eternal death or eternal destruction, right? Um, but when Paul says the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, he's talking about everyday life also. Right? He's talking about it's the power of God to strengthen you. It's the power of God to comfort you. It's the power of God to uphold you. It's the power of God to keep your heart. It's the power of God to protect your heart. It's the power of God to produce peace and love and joy in you. It's the power of God to produce kindness and meekness and patience in you. Right? And, and Paul would come and say in Galatians that the, there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. And do you know what that means? If your heart's filled with the fruit of the Spirit, you don't need to be told what to do. And you don't need to be kept by all these external ordinances. And so the gospel comes to fill you full with the love of God. The peace, the love, the joy, the kindness, the meekness of God. And those things can sustain you as you walk in this earth. And actually, it's the only thing that can sustain you. External ordinances can't sustain you. External ordinances can't keep you. External ordinances can't give you a sound mind. It can't purify your heart from fear. It can't keep your heart from being tempted to take up your own life. And so, man, I'm excited about what the gospel is going to do in all of our lives. I know we're, we, we've, we've kind of lived in a church system where you got to have a new vision for every year. It's the same vision. The gospel. There's no other thing. It's the gospel, right? And so that's what we've been talking about. We're going to keep talking about it. And what we know is that God is intimately acquainted with what hurts us. He's intimately acquainted with what we need. So that tells us that he knows exactly which perspective of the same gospel that he's going to minister to us over the next 12 months. Because I don't know if you guys realize it, there's one message. There's not a bunch of different messages. There's one message, but the message is so much because the message is God. And God is so much, God never changes, but you can find yourself looking at different aspects of the same God and seeing different things, but it's the same God. And so the gospel is the same way. You don't need a different message. It's the same message that can attack things from all these different angles. But it's the same kind of a thing. It's the same kind of a message. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm just an excited kind of a guy. I was excited last year. I don't, if you go back and listen to the last message I preached last year, you might find I was kind of excited. <laughs> How can you talk about Jesus and not get excited? And when I say talk about Jesus, I don't just mean talking about the fact that there's a historical guy named Jesus that lived. You know, when God gave us the Holy Spirit, do you, do you know one of the things that the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit allows us to see into the depth of the heart of Jesus. To the degree that we could actually see what he believed when he walked in the earth. And it's a powerful thing when that happens. Because that's giving you intimacy with the Son. Right? That's how you have intimacy with somebody. The way you have intimacy with someone is you see into their heart. 
And you know their heart. And in knowing their heart, you know them in a deeper sense than you know they exist. You know them in the sense of having intimacy with what's inside of them and what they think and what they feel and what they believe. Well, John comes and says in 1 John that truly our intimacy is with the Son. And through intimacy with the Son, our intimacy or our fellowship is with the Father. And so the power to experience the life of the Lord Jesus is found in seeing deep into His heart. And if you, you, you go back and look at one of the things I put a heavy emphasis on here. I put a heavy emphasis on the faith of the Son of God. Paul said he lived by the faith of the Son of God. And he said it was that faith that he lived by that was always bearing about in his body the life of the Lord Jesus. And so if you want to experience the life of the Lord Jesus, it's not going to happen by external ordinances. It's not going to happen by you figuring out the right way to do this or the right way to do that. The way you're going to experience the life of the Lord Jesus is by looking into his heart and seeing what it is he believed. And by seeing what it is he believed, guess what can happen? His faith can be born in you. And then his faith starts animating you with his life. And that's what it means for it to no longer be you who lives, but for it to be Christ who's living in you. You see? And so, that's how I get down. That's what excites me. We'll just pray right now. Thank you, Father, that for loving us, that when you were looking for your dream house, that you chose us to be your temple. Thank you, Father, for pouring out of yourself, your Holy Spirit, Lord. Holy Spirit, Man, open our eyes so we could see into the depth of Jesus' heart. So we can have intimacy with the faith that was in his heart. Open our eyes so we could see what he believed about the Father and his life with the Father. Holy Spirit, intercede in our hearts. Minister the faith that was in Jesus inside of our hearts, Lord, so that we could find that faith animating us with the life of Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Um, if you don't listen to me very often, I'll apologize in advance because I, I tend to build. And if you go back and listen to the messages, the Holy Spirit builds a thought. And so a lot of times I'm talking about things I was already talking about. And if you miss some of that, you could feel like, what's going on? And I can't go back and re recap every single time. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last message I preached um, at the end of November. I think the last Sunday in November. And go back and listen to it. It's on YouTube. It's on gospelrevolutionchurch.com. Um, and it, it will go together um, with, with part of this. But I left off last year talking about what led Jesus to the cross. Right? And so many times when we think about what led Jesus to the cross, we only think of it from the perspective of Jesus as the Messiah. And we say, he went to the cross to save the world. That's true. But Christ is the manifold wisdom of God. And so there, there's more to be seen about Jesus going to the cross than, than only him going to the cross as Messiah to save the world. So I was asking everybody, what led Jesus to the cross, right? And the reason why I'm asking everybody isn't like some, well, I'm trying to trick people. It's not a trick question. I'm trying to help everybody think about what was in his heart. Because we put on these wristbands that say, what would Jesus do? It's not about what would Jesus do. It's about what did Jesus believe? And what's interesting about the Greek word for faith, 
within the Greek word for faith, do you know what it means? To persuade someone of something. And so if you could start seeing into the faith that was in Jesus' heart when He walked the earth, that faith can begin to persuade you of what He believed. And it says out of the heart flow the issues of life. And so I wasn't just asking that to be philosophical or to ask a difficult question. I was trying to get people to get caught up into thinking what was in this dude's heart. What was he believing when he walked the earth? We've heard our whole lives about what Jesus did and what we should do. But I promise you, everything he did was born from what he believed. And there's nothing that he did that he did because he was told, you must do it. He did it because there was a belief in his heart that brought it forth. And that's the way it works for us. And so I asked everybody to think about what led Jesus to the cross and whether or not Jesus would have still ended up on the cross if he wasn't coming to the world as Messiah to save the world, but he was only coming to the world as an individual needing to be clothed in life just like you and me. Would he still have ended up on the cross? If his mission wasn't to be the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. If he was only an individual like you and me, that needed to be clothed in life, just like you and me, would he still have ended up on the cross? And I bring that up to get you thinking. God asks questions. He can make declarations, but he asks questions. Adam, who told you you were naked? If you look at the ministry of Jesus, he asks questions. And the reason why he asks questions is because he's trying to draw people into thinking with him. And so that's why I ask the question. I want people to start thinking because Jesus, we're not, we're not meant to only see Jesus going to the cross as Messiah. Yes, we're meant to see that. And this isn't to do away with that. Human beings, we struggle to understand the manifold wisdom of God. It's either this or that. We struggle to see how it's this and that. We're not just meant to see Jesus going to the cross as Messiah. We're also meant to see Jesus going to the cross as the Son of Man. As someone just like you and me. Just like you and me. We're supposed to have a whole part of the cross that ministers to our lives that is born from that foundation. Right? And so nobody, people will misunderstand you. If you ever get into preaching or talking publicly, this is what you're sure of. Everyone will misunderstand you. Don't think that means there's something wrong with you. It's that we all have our own hearts. Different things mean different things to different people. So just so there's no confusion, and, and somebody come in and say, Gee, Greg said Jesus isn't the Messiah. Uh, uh, it, you think it, it happens, man. Yeah, some of it, hey, glory to God. If you want to stand up in front of people and tell them about God, that's a serious thing, and you ought to be okay with being judged. And I don't mean judged like condemned, but I mean like people are going to dissect you as well they should, because we should not just listen to everything everybody says about God. Some people ought not be talking to other people about God. <laughs> hey, there was a time in my life where I ought not be talking to other people about God. Like, I was in need of being taught. Do you see what I'm saying? And so, yes, Jesus is Messiah. Yes, Jesus went to the cross as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God. 
taking away the death that was reigning over the world. With that being said, if all you see about the cross is Jesus going there as Messiah, it will be very difficult for you to identify with him in his death because you're not the Messiah. And you're supposed to be identifying with him on the cross. You're supposed to be partaking with the faith that was in his heart when he was on the cross. And if you don't understand what it is that led Jesus as the Son of Man to the cross, then you're going to have a very difficult time finding the same thing born in you that was born in the Apostle Paul when he said, I was crucified with Christ. Which that's where the power is. That's where the life of God can come forth. So there's a faith that was working in Jesus. There's a faith that was working in his heart that would have led him to the cross whether he was the Messiah come to save the world or whether he was just an individual needing to be clothed in life. Either way, he would have still ended up on the cross. And that's what we want people to see. Because then you can start thinking of, well, why would he have ended up on the cross if he wasn't just come to save the world? That's a fantastic question that will bear much fruit in your life. You start asking God. Because he will start showing you. And then you'll find yourself living by the faith of the Son of God as you walk in this world. Right? What happens when you see Jesus as the Son of Man, just like you and me? There's a reason why. I'm the Son of Man. Jesus asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? He said, Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? I'm a man. Who do you say I am? And then Jesus speaks back to Peter and calls him Simon Bar-Jonah. Son of a man also. There's a part of Jesus we're supposed to identify with him in his humanity because we're humans. And that has a great ministry in our lives, right? So when you can see Jesus as the Son of Man, just like you and me, and you can see the faith that led him to the cross, which is actually to say led him to the Father. I'm going to get to this at the end, but we have such an aversion for the cross, we only think of the cross as the place of physical suffering and the phys and physical death, that we struggle to see that the cross is the place where you meet the Father. That's the meeting place of the Father. There was a faith in Jesus that led him to the cross, which is to say, led him to the Father. And the way you follow Jesus into the presence of the Father is by seeing the faith that was in his heart that led him to the cross. And what happens is, is when you can see there, the faith that was in him that led him to the cross, even as the Son of Man, what can happen is that same faith can lead you and you can follow Jesus in the way of the cross to the Father. Right? And I don't just mean one day in the sweet by and by. Like, the presence of the Father is here. You know, the Scripture says that God poured out of Himself onto all flesh His Holy Spirit. And do you know what that Holy Spirit is? It's the presence of the Father. And so that presence is here all around us. That presence is in us. If you've called upon the name of Jesus, you're the temple of the living God. But it isn't just that, well, that presence is in me and that presence is here. It said, I want to experience the presence. And when I say experience it, I don't mean all this hocus-pocus kind of stuff. I mean, I want to be filled with the peace and love and the joy and the kindness and the meekness of God. 
I want to find the rest of God manifesting in my flesh so that the life of God might also manifest in my flesh. You can't find the life of God manifesting out of you unless your flesh first be put to rest. And so, when you see Jesus as the Son of Man, just like you and me, you see the faith that led Him to the cross, that faith, can start leading you in the way of the cross. And I don't mean like these guys that go find a physical cross and nail themselves to it. That ain't what I'm talking about. You can find that same faith that was in Jesus leading you in the way of the cross to the Father. And that's one of the things it means to be high priest. You know, the scriptures talk about Jesus being high priest. Does it mean he put on a nice little priestly outfit? And that's the part I want to pick up piggyback on from what we left off with, because that's what I was trying to do. When, when you catch people up into the faith that was in his heart that led him into the Father, what, led him to the Father, what happens is, is it consecrates something in your heart where you find yourself dwelling in the presence of the Father all the time. Not just in theory, but in experiential knowledge, like Paul prayed, that you would know the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God. Right? And that's what it means to be the high priest. You lead people to the Father so they can be refreshed by His presence. How many of you think you might need to be refreshed? I mean, when you come into the new year, you have all these New Year's resolutions so you can be refreshed. Why do you want the things that you don't like removed from your life? Because you want to be refreshed. And so that's one of the things it means for Jesus to be high priest. And we'll pick this up in Hebrews. Chapter 4, and we'll look at a bunch of verses there. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 is where we pick it up. It says, Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. How did he pass into the heavens? The cross. <laughs> he ain't getting to the heaven. Without getting to the cross. And when it talks about him going into the heaven, it's talking about him going into the presence of God. The presence of the Father. That's what it's talking about. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. When was he touched with the feeling of our infirmities and tempted like we are? On the cross. And you see what sin actually is there, right? Because we tend to define sin by, by what the Bible calls the works of the flesh. Sin is for you to try to give yourself life instead of looking to the Father for life. Jesus was tempted to sin. He was tempted to come down off the cross. He was tempted to try to clothe himself with life and save himself instead of looking to the Father. But he didn't, did he? Did he come down off the cross? Nope. What did he do? He looked to the one who could save him. See, he was tempted to try to clothe himself, but he didn't. He looked to the one who could clothe him. Right? That happened on the cross. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we come boldly to the throne of grace? The cross. How did Jesus come boldly? 
to the throne of grace? The cross. And I'll keep developing this picture, but I want to bring it up again. I'm not just talking about the physical cross. I'm talking about there's a faith in His heart that was revealed in Him on the cross, and it's that faith that was revealed in Him on the cross that brings us to the throne of grace in our time of need. Because it was that faith that brought Him to the cross and that brought Him into the presence of the Father in His time of need. Right? Like we talked about, the miracle is Jesus. When you're in your time of need, you're, you're not just needing a miracle. What you're needing is the grace that's in the hand of the Father. That's what you need. You're in need of the mercy and the grace that's found in the hand of the Father, in the presence of the Father. And it's the faith that was in Jesus when He was nailed to a tree that brings us to the place where we're partaking of the mercy and the grace of the Father which is what the Hebrew Scriptures, which is what Hebrew says that you need. That's why it says, in your time of need. So, I know when we're in our time of need, we can think we need this, or we need that, or we need this, or we need the other. I don't despise anybody for thinking that. I'm the king of thinking that. But let me just tell you what the Scripture says. In your time of need, the Scripture says, you're in need of mercy and grace. And it says... The mercy and grace you need is found in the presence of the Father. Right? Hebrews 10.19, speaking of Jesus, as high priest says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest place by the blood of Jesus. When was the blood of Jesus shed? On the cross. That's going to play a big role in how that leads us. Speaking of Jesus, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about how Jesus brings us into the presence of the Father. Right there. You notice how he says that our conscience have to be sprinkled. And we're washed. Our body's washed. You'll find out why the washing of the body. The washing of the body is not because God thinks you're despicable because you've done bad things. The washing of the body is pertaining to what gives us an evil conscience. Right? It's not that God needs to wash us so he could stand to be around us. It's that we can't stand to be in the presence of God when we perceive ourselves a certain way. That's why it's our conscience that's washed clean. It doesn't say it's God's conscience that's washed clean. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And you know why Jesus was able to experience the presence of the Father when He was on the cross? It's because His conscience was clean. Right? And so just to give a little background about the high priest, Right? To put it into relatable terms for us. Right? Because high priest could be high priest. What are you talking about? You know, what does that mean? My goodness, Greg, I'm just trying to survive every day. How's this high priest thing going to help me? <laughs> the, high, the high priest is ordained by God. And it's not supposed to be like a religious thing, it's not supposed to be like the Pope. And I'm, I'm not disparaging the Pope. I'm just saying that's not what it's supposed to be like. The high priest was ordained by God to lead the people into the presence of the Father. 
You have, you have the Father desiring to be with people. Remember, He came to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. But Adam wasn't found, was He? Adam was hiding because he was filled with fear and shame. So Adam had an evil conscience because his conscience was stained with fear and shame based on him seeing his own nakedness. And that was causing him to cower away from the Father and to hide from the Father when the Father was coming to the meeting place to, to walk with Adam all over again. And so God's, God's like wanting to hang out with you, but He can see there's some type of a problem here where you ain't coming to hang out with Him. And He's realizing that in Him is life. In Him is actually the only thing that can clothe upon you. In Him is the only thing that can sustain you. In Him is the grace and the mercy that you need. In Him is everything that you need. But you won't come to Him because you can't stand to be in His presence because you're filled with fear and shame. And so God's like, we got to troubleshoot this problem. How many of you have a company or a job where you're troubleshooting problems? So God's like, we got to troubleshoot this thing, dude. What are we going to do? How are we going to get these dudes to walk with us so they can be refreshed by our presence? How are we going to sort that out? So he ordains the high priest to lead people into the presence of the Father. And so what happens is, is the high priest would first go into the presence of the Father. And in the high priest doing that, it would consecrate a way for the people, right? The way into the presence of the Father becomes consecrated for all the other people. Not only would they see the way to the Father, but what they saw there would actually draw them to the Father. Right? Like, you ever been upset and needed a hug? Like, nobody has to tell you to go get a hug. You, you're wanting it. You're drawn. Hug me. And so the high priest would first come into the presence of the Father and show you the way into the presence of the Father, but what was seen there would be so powerful that it wouldn't just give you orders about what you needed to do to get there. What it would do is bring something forth in you where it drew you to the Father. And you see a picture of this on, in Jesus on the cross. This is going to mess people up, but on the cross, that is the holiest place. That was the meeting place with the Father. And there was Jesus in His time of need. And there He is coming to the throne of grace in His time of need with boldness, with confidence, not with fear and shame. He wasn't afraid of the Father. He didn't see punishment for Him in the Father. What He saw was mercy and grace. And so no one had to tell Him He could go to the Father. No one had to tell Him to do this to get to the Father. There was something in Him that He saw about the Father that drew Him to the Father. And the high priest is ordained by God to do that same thing in all of us. God don't leave you out there to sort it out. Did he leave Adam out there to sort it out? What did he do? He went looking for Adam. And when he saw Adam was filled with fear and shame, that's the evil conscience. A conscience filled with fear and shame. He saw that Adam's conscience was evil. It was filled with fear and shame in his presence because of the nakedness he saw. So God didn't just leave Adam to figure it out. Well, I can go to the Father, but it feels real scary. God came and clothed Adam so that Adam, conscience, so that his body could be washed. So what he saw, his nakedness could be washed out of his conscience. And he could now see himself clothed in the presence of the Father. And when you see yourself clothed in the presence of the Father, it removes from you any thoughts of fear and shame. 
It removes any blame or accusation that can try to come to your heart when you're in the presence of the Father. And you no longer possess the ability to feel fear and shame. You become like Adam was before he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where you can be naked and yet unashamed because you see the Father isn't ashamed of your nakedness. Because I promise you, in your time of need, what's happened is the world has uncovered your nakedness. And you're in need of being clothed upon. The only one who can clothe you is God. And he clothed you with the life of his lamb. By his lamb shedding his blood. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, you don't have to go back and listen to the messages, but I encourage you, you, you really should. Right? It will bless you. One of the requirements to be the high priest is... you got to be like the people you're representing. That's one of the requirements to be the high priest when you read in the letter to the Hebrews. One of the requirements to be high priest to a people is you must be like them. And what does it mean that you must be like them? It means you have had to walk a mile in their shoe. You ever tried to give somebody advice and they don't want to hear it? What's one of the things they might say? Try walking in my shoes and then come talk to me. Our dear brother Jim Dixon, when he was a young man in seminary, they took him on a missions trip down to New Orleans, as all the seminaries around the world like to do because there's great debauchery and sin, sinners in New Orleans. Well, Jim found uh, a homeless guy that was clearly struggling with alcoholism. There was this homeless on the streets in New Orleans. We've all seen that growing up here. So Jim went to try to go preach the gospel as they taught it to him there. You know what that guy told him? Come live with me for a week and then talk to me about your gospel. <laughs> you see, that guy didn't want Jim to lead him anywhere because he didn't think Jim knew anything about his life. I ain't following you anywhere till I can see you're intimately acquainted with my life. Right? And if you just for individual people, if you ever if you're ever like in a position where you, you think you can minister to somebody or be a help to them, but you think there's a stumbling block, one of the things that will tear down the stumbling block is if that person can see you know. And so before you get into trying to pluck a, a, a speck out of somebody else's eye, first demonstrate to them that you understand so they can identify with you. Because then they're much more likely to be led. Parents, when you're trying to parent your kids, and you start getting a pushback. You know why you're getting a pushback? Because they think you don't know. And so I know you can get frustrated. It's just a rebellious kid. we got to take him outside of the camp and stone him. <laughs> it's not rebellion. It's that the human being cannot follow or be led by anyone that they don't think knows. And so first, try to identify with them. First, help them to see how you do know. And then they will take your thoughts easily. Right? Because they do need help, and they want help. That's one of the reasons why they listen to their peers more than they listen to parents. Because they believe their peers know. Their peers are living through what they're living through every day. And so they know. So it's just a human part of us that we are much more likely to listen to advice from people we think that have walked a mile in our shoes. Because we think they know. They're intimately acquainted with our life. 
right? And so to be the high priest of a people, the people need to see themselves in your face, which is one of the reasons why I came suggesting that Jesus didn't just go to the cross as Messiah. He also went to the cross as the Son of Man, just like you and me. Because if we only see him as Messiah, it becomes very difficult for us to see ourselves in his face. How can we follow him anywhere? We're not the Messiah. So the high priest needs to be intimately acquainted with the life the people are experiencing. To the degree the people the high priest represents can identify with what they see in him. They see him and then they, oh yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. One of the things that will deliver you the most from your struggles, because we tend to judge ourselves for our struggles. We're hard on ourselves. One of the things that can set you free the most, one of the things that set me free the most, when I realized God put on human flesh, he put on my skin suit, I call it, and when God Almighty put on my skin suit and felt the pressing in of the death that's in the world, he sweat blood. God Almighty. And you know what I saw in that moment? When I used to despise myself for being discouraged, when I used to despise myself for weakness, when I used to despise myself for my struggles, when I despised myself for not doing things perfectly, when I despised myself for ever being down, I found the hound of God reaching forth and touching my shoulder, and I found God Himself looking at me in the person of Jesus Christ, telling me, me too, I know. And immediately I was convinced, He knows. This dude knows. You see, there's something that happens inside of a person that is intimately acquainted with the struggles of someone else. They don't judge them because they know. And when you see that about God, it removes the condemnation that you think comes from God when you're struggling because you see He knows. And once the condemnation gets removed, you can actually find yourself being ministered to. Feeling condemned by God gets in the way of you being ministered to. In fact, you can't be ministered to by someone that you think is condemning you. Can't happen. Your heart will be hardened. It'll be filled with fear. It'll be filled with shame. All your mind could think of is the judgment. You'll be naked and very ashamed. <laughs> right? So they got to be, be able to identify with what they see in the person, for the person to be the high priest. That's how it has to go. Right? So if the, if the people are filled with weakness, the high they have to see the high priest has felt that weakness. You know, the scripture says that Jesus put on our infirmities on the cross. He felt the full weight of what death does to human. He had a human brain. He's God, but he put on our skin suit and he had a human brain. And all these, his human brain felt the effects of death. His human brain heard the thoughts that come from death. His body felt the weakness. And the point of Him feeling all that as the Son of Man is so that we could see ourselves in Him and we could identify with Him because that dude's trying to take us somewhere and we ain't following the leader if we can't identify with Him. Right? You guys following that? Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. You and me, we're the children. We partook of flesh and blood in the first man, Adam. 
when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and death entered into the earth, and death entered into his body. So as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, talking about Jesus here, he also likewise himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The fear of death, is, it, it, it's, it's referencing back to what Adam felt when his nakedness was uncovered in, in his time of need. And in his time of need, he, he was subjected to a life of bondage because he didn't see God there with him to clothe him. He had a fear of punishment when he thought of God. He saw punishment in God. And he saw in the presence of God is punishment. So that subjected him to a lifetime of trying to clothe upon himself. Because if you need to be clothed upon, but you have a fear that if you come to God to be clothed, he's going to punish you. You ain't coming to God to be clothed. And now you're subject to a lifetime of bondage where you're all the time trying to clothe yourself instead of coming to God to be clothed upon. You see that? You guys notice how Adam tried to clothe himself with the fig leaves? Well, why would you, if he would have saw God there to clothe him with the lamb, do you think he would have tried to clothe himself with the, with the, with the fig leaves? No, he would have come boldly to the Father. Daddy, Eve ate from the tree. And it hurt my heart that the woman that I love was now off in darkness. And I couldn't stand the thought of her being in darkness alone. So I ate from the tree also. Daddy, help us. You know what would have happened? God would have clothed them. But they had a fear of death, a fear of punishment in the presence of the Father. Because their conscience was stained by their nakedness. And that nakedness they saw in themselves caused them to despise themselves. It filled them with fear and shame at the thought of being in the presence of God because they thought God also despised their nakedness. God comes and says, who told you you're naked? Meaning, I didn't tell you, I didn't uncover your nakedness. I made you naked. I've never been ashamed of your nakedness. I've always ordained that I would be the one that would clothe you. I'm not surprised by your nakedness. That was Adam's time of need. But he didn't come boldly to the throne of grace because of the fear and shame. So that's, that's what partaking of flesh and blood is talking about. It's talking about the body of death. It's talking about when death entered into our bodies. That's what gave us an evil conscience. An evil conscience is a conscience that's ashamed of itself. And because it's ashamed of itself, it's laboring and toiling to try to clothe itself. That's an evil conscience. Partaking of flesh and blood is talking about the death that entered in, right? Do you guys see that dynamic? How the corrupted flesh filled us with fear and shame in the presence of the Father, right? I'm using Adam to describe something that's happened in all of our lives. You ever felt fear and shame? You know why you felt that? Because your nakedness was uncovered. I don't mean like you didn't have physical clothes on. I mean like something came and told you you don't have life. You don't have something you're supposed to have. There's some characteristic that you're supposed to have that you don't have. You see me? I ain't got no hair. Do any of you see any hair? Well, listen, I've like been delivered from the fear and shame of that because like I don't, I never liked my hair anyway. 
And so now I'm like, glory to God, I don't have no hair. I mean, I even tell the Lord, Lord, I'm happy for the new body, a glorified body, but I don't want no hair. I'm even telling him that in the new heaven and the new earth. Do not redeem me from my baldness. <laughs> but when I was a young guy, and I've just freshly married my wife, and it wasn't her fault, but I had this idea in my head that in order to, to be good or to have what you're supposed to have or to be as you ought to be, you got to have hair. And so now I'm watching the hair go. And I'm like, my God. My nakedness was uncovered. I'm trying to help you connect with the imagery that's used in the Bible. Do you see that? Right? And there was a fear and shame that came upon me. Right? So that flesh, when death entered into Adam, into the human race, it filled us with fear and shame in the presence of the Father. We weren't able to come to Him or to cry out to Him when we needed life. And the reason why we weren't is we couldn't see He was with us to clothe us. We didn't see there was mercy and grace in His hand. We didn't see His hand was stretched forth towards us. We thought there was punishment in Him for us. We didn't think there was a reward. Who thinks there's a reward when they were real bad? That's the thinking in the world. Nobody in the world thinks there's a reward when you've done bad. We all know there's punishment. But God is not like the world. And so you could see how the world could convince you very easily. There's punishment waiting. And so we were never crying out to God because we couldn't see He would provide Himself a lamb. And He would allow us to strip Him naked. And He would allow us to nail Him to a tree. And He would take our death into Himself so that He could go into heaven and get the cloak of the Father's life to clothe us in. We couldn't see He would clothe us. We thought He'd point and laugh. I mean, some people even have like dreams about being afraid of being naked in front of everybody. Pointing and laughing. That's what we thought would happen if we came to the Father. Father. We thought he would point and mock and laugh, and then we thought he would do this. You're not mine. I don't know who you are. We've actually had help from Christianity to reinforce that lie. <laughs> we couldn't see his hand stretched forward towards us with the reward of life. We couldn't see it. Our conscience was stained with sin. Our conscience was stained with our nakedness, with the body of death. That left us in bondage through the fear of punishment, just like Adam in the garden. We were held in bondage to a life of trying to clothe ourselves with corruptible things in the world. Those corruptible things, just like the fig leaves, the fig leaves promised Adam they could clothe him. That's why he went for them. It looked like it can clothe me. But how many of you know it says Adam was still naked? And so we're left in a world wanting to be clothed, thinking these corruptible things can be clothed. Lots of these corruptible things that we could enjoy if we weren't trying to be clothed in them, they tell us you can clothe yourself with these things. If only you can get these things, they will clothe you. We even have entire marketing campaigns that are structured around convincing the populace that they lack because they don't have this product. But if you get this product, then you can be clothed. <laughs> Promising you. All you need is this. And then you'll have it all. That's what we were left to. We were trying to be clothed upon by the world. We were looking to the world to be the father of our life. And I want to connect this imagery 
to the, the Spirit in the Scriptures. And it's okay if you don't understand me. The Holy Spirit understands and He will persuade you over the course of your life. Essentially, what we were doing when we were looking to the world to be the Father of our life, we were coming down off the cross. It's not possible to come to God or stand in His presence with a conscience stained by your sin. It's not possible. That's why Hebrews talks about your conscience being purged (laughs) first by the blood of the Lamb. It's not possible to come to God or to stand in His presence if your conscience is stained by the nakedness you see in yourself or by the body of death. The death you see in yourself will accuse you in the presence of the Father. And what will happen is you'll feel the accusation on the inside of you and you'll think it comes from God. You'll actually think God's the one accusing you. Just like Adam thought, God's the one that uncovered my nakedness. And so the moment you come into the presence of God with a conscience stained with your inability, with your weakness, with your nakedness, with the death you see in your life, with the sin you see in your life, those things will then accuse you. It's not God accusing you. They will accuse you in the presence of the Father and they will work fear and shame and condemnation in your heart and they will cause you to cower away from God just like the first man, Adam. This is why God ordained a high priest to do away with all that. So we could come boldly. So we could experience the presence of the Father with us everywhere we go, whether we find ourselves in life or whether we find ourselves in death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Right? How many of you feel loved by God when you feel condemned? Well, you're not separated from God's love in reality, but in experience you are. Well, how can Paul say nothing can separate us from the love of God? Because God comes and removes that which tries to condemn you in His presence. And if you remove that which tries to condemn a person in the presence of God, do you know what's left? Love. He loves me. He really loves me. And that's why it says that God ordained from the beginning of time that we would stand before Him holy and without blame in love. You notice how He connects the without blame part? Well, we think God's the one that was blaming us. Do you know the word Satan in Hebrew? Hasatan? Do you know what it means? Prosecuting attorney. Who do you think is the one leveling the charges and the blame? also says Satan was in the presence of God before Jesus ascended to the heavenly place, and then he's cast down. <laughs> Who do you think was accusing us? I promise you it wasn't God. There's a reason why Hebrews 11 says this. Those who come to God must see He's a rewarder of those who come to Him. Do you see what it's saying there? Like, you ain't coming to God unless you see in God is a reward for you. If you think there's punishment for you, you ain't coming. God's got to wash your conscience clean from thinking there's punishment waiting for you. So that in every moment of every day of your life, a subconscious thing happens in you when you're walking through life and you're encountering life and you feel weakness or you see you have a need for strength or you see you have a need for comfort or you see you have a need for life, something uh, automatic happens inside of you where you immediately connect with the presence of the Father. And now he's with you even in you. 
and how everything you need is in Him. And you'll find yourself receiving strength and grace and comfort in your time of need. Right? Hebrews 11 doesn't say those who come to God must first clean themselves up and clothe themselves before they get a reward from God. It doesn't say that. It says those who can't clothe themselves. This is what it's talking about. Those who have sinned. Those who can't clothe themselves. Those who are dying. Jesus was dying on the cross. His nakedness was uncovered. The fullness of sin and death was manifesting in Him. He wasn't clothed. Life wasn't manifesting out of him. Death was. And in that place, he came to God. Why? Because he saw there was a reward. That's a picture of us. That was us. That's our life. You know the show, This Is Your Life? Jesus on the cross, that's our life. He entered into our darkness so we could see our life from the outside looking in. You ever notice how you see more clearly when you're on the outside of a situation instead of in the middle of it? So God, how are we going to get these guys to see how it's actually gone down? I know. We're going to enter into their death. We're going to enter into their perishable flesh. They were partakers of a corruptible, corrupted body. I'll enter into a corrupted body. Their sin and their death will manifest in me on the cross. They'll see themselves in me. They'll see their weakness in me. They'll see their sin in me. They'll see their death in me. They'll see their nakedness in me. And in that place, they'll see me call out to the Father. They'll see me come to Him with boldness. And then we can minister to them that the reason I came in boldness is because I saw there was a reward for me. And then they could see in their sin, in their death, in their nakedness, in their shame, in, in, in their error, in their fault, that there is a reward for them waiting for the Father. And they can just cry out to Him. Does that make any sense? Hebrews 10.19 says, we'll read it again, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. So Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He partook with us in the flesh and blood. Right? He was put to death in the flesh. Tasted our infirmities. And in that place, He didn't run and hide from God like Adam. He didn't try to come down off the cross and clothe himself like Adam. In that place, he cried out to the Father to save him, as opposed to coming down off the cross to save himself. And one of the reasons why he did that is Jesus didn't think he could be saved from the body that was dying by coming down off the cross. See, the carnal mind thinks, if I, I could be saved from death if I avoid the cross. <laughs> Jesus said, understood well, even if I don't go to the cross, this body's dying. And so even if I save myself from the cross, that doesn't save me from death. The only thing that can save me from this body of death, oh, wretched men that I am, who can save me from this body of death? This body of death, the only thing that can save me isn't coming down off the cross. It's calling out to the Father. The Father, the life the Father has in His hand. The hand of the Father stretched forth towards me to clothe upon me with life. That's the only thing that can save me from this body of death. Jesus saw there's a reward in the Father's hand that saves from death, and that reward is for everyone who cries out to Him. You want to be a righteous person? Cry out to God for life. 
You want to know why Jesus wasn't a sinner? Because in the place of needing life, he didn't try to give himself life. He cried out to the Father. Jesus saw it's not those who do everything right. It's not those who live perfectly. It's not those who look strong. It's not those who look wise. It's not those who are noble according to the world. It's anyone who'll cry out to God. And he didn't just figure it out intellectually. He cried out to God because he saw the reward he needed, which was to be saved from this body of death, was found in the Father. Hallelujah. This is why I'm happy. This is why I'm excited. This. What an honor that God thinks so much of you and me that we can even think like this with God. That we can even contemplate these things. It's like being caught up to the third heaven. So Jesus was single-eyed on the cross. He saw through the confusion. The Holy Spirit interceded in his heart with words that weren't uttered out loud. The Holy Spirit interceded in Jesus' heart in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of thinking, I've got to be saved from this body of death, in the midst of hearing the voice telling him, if he'll just come down off the cross, he can clothe upon himself, in the midst of hearing all the voices, in the midst of hearing the voice telling him the Father was ashamed of him, that the Father was the one uncovering his nakedness, that the Father was the one punishing him. In the midst of hearing all that, the Holy Spirit interceded in Jesus' heart, and it showed Jesus that the only thing that's in the Father is the reward of life. And so Jesus comes to the throne of grace in his time of need, boldly. Boldly means without shame. If you think someone's judging you for your nakedness or your death or your sin, you ain't going to have confidence. You're going to have shame. So Jesus saw the grace and comfort and mercy he needed in the Father. And he saw the Father was with him. His presence was overshadowing him. He was immersed in the presence of the Father. He saw the power to be saved from the body of death. And he declared the Father's name in the midst of the world when he cried out, Abba. That's why the centurion says, truly, this is the Son of God. So Jesus is a man, just like you and me. That's what we're supposed to see. Jesus. So we see Jesus on the cross. We're supposed to see a man just like us. We see his nakedness uncovered on the cross. We see him dead in sin. But he wasn't ashamed of his nakedness. He wasn't filled with fear and shame. He had confidence in the presence of the Father. Why? Why did he have confidence in the presence of the Father? Well, first of all, Jesus says, I judge no man after the flesh. You guys remember that verse? Well, he says he only does what he sees the Father doing. So he realized the Father also doesn't judge people after the flesh. The Father doesn't judge people for what he sees manifesting in their lives. For whatever death is manifesting in their lives, the answer is to be clothed by him. So Jesus lived by the knowledge of God instead of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what the knowledge of good and evil is? Where we judge things by whether or not we see life or we see death. We judge people that way. It's from the pit of hell. We see people, we see death manifesting out of them, and then we judge them by the death we see manifesting out of them. That's called judging people by the knowledge of good and evil instead of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's why Isaiah says that when we saw Jesus nailed to a tree, we esteemed him smitten and stricken by God. Because that's what we do when we see somebody in death. We judge them. Jesus knew he was blameless in the presence of the Father. He knew he wasn't a reproach to the Father. 
He knew the Father doesn't judge after the flesh. He saw the reward he desired was in the Father's hand. He saw the Father's hand stretched forth towards him to give him the comfort and the grace and the mercy he needed. He saw there was no darkness or shadow of turning in the Father. That only good and perfect gifts come from the Father of lights in heaven. That's in James chapter 1. He saw that there was no fear of punishment in the Father. And that caused him to come to the Father with boldness when he needed life. That's the priesthood of Jesus. That's what it means that he's high priest. He makes a way for us to come to the throne of grace with boldness. He shows us the way into the holiest place, into the presence of the Father, is faith. It's faith. It's faith in the goodness of God towards you, even when you don't see goodness in yourself. That's what the faith was. And so Jesus put his faith, the faith that brought him to the cross and kept him on the cross, he put it on display on the cross so that that same faith could be born in us and cause us to follow him to the Father. Follow me. He told Peter, he told the disciples, where I'm going, you can't follow right now, but you will follow after. I can't put it down, babe. I'm sweating. I'm so sorry. I know, I'm creating tracers. I'm like a basketball player. Celebrating a home run. <laughs> Thanks though, babe, for looking out for me. I appreciate it. Jesus purges our conscience from the body of death so our eyes can be open to the love of the Father, even when we're naked. We see the Father with us in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. That's what this earth is right now, the valley that's shadowed by death. We need to see the presence of the Father overshadowing us in this valley. We need to see that His hand stretched forth towards us to satisfy us with life. That's what we see in Jesus on the cross because He needed life. He cried out to the Father and then we see Him raised from the dead. So we see the Father was with Him. Jesus even said in John's Gospel, this shocks people growing up in Western Christianity because we've had it beaten into our heads that the Father forsook the Son. The Son is God and the Father is God. How can God forsake Himself? The Scripture says God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Jesus said in John, speaking about the cross, the time is coming where everyone will scatter for me and it will look like I'm alone, but I'm not alone. The Father is with me. You can go read it in the Scriptures. And so Jesus opened our eyes to all that on the cross. And so now we see the Father with us, to be the Father we need, giving our lives the care they need. And then we bear about in our bodies the dying of Jesus. Our flesh is put to rest, and we deny ourselves and take up our cross. We think deny ourselves and take up our cross means stop being bad. <laughs> if we could do that, we don't need God. And we're almost done. Thank you guys for your patience. I'm going to say some shocking things now, but I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. It's only shocking because of the narrative that's been created. You ever notice how a narrative can become created and then you hear something different than the narrative and it's like, what? We should understand that about humans. That's how traditions get in place that contradict God. That can even make the word of God none effect. We were talking about that earlier. The cross is the way to the Father. And I'm not talking about the physical cross for you and me or physical suffering. You see, that tends to be the narrative we have around the cross. The narrative we, we only have is a place of physical suffering and physical death. 
It's not suffering that's the way to the Father, although we will suffer. It's not suffering that's the way to the Father. It's the faith revealed at the cross that is the way to partake of the Father in His life. There's a faith revealed there. And so you and I don't take up a physical cross. That's not what it means when it says, deny yourself and take up your cross. He's not telling you, go find a physical cross to be nailed to. What he's saying is, behold the faith that's going to be revealed in me on the cross. And you'll see me come boldly into the presence of the Father. And you'll see that the Father's not ashamed when he finds someone dead in sin. You'll see the Father only has a reward to give. And what that will do in you, deny yourself means that you don't try to come down off the cross or clothe yourself. It means you look at your own strength and you say, I can't clothe myself. That's taking up your cross. I can't give myself peace and love and joy. I can't be my own strength. I can't. And that's you staying on the cross. That's the meeting place of the Father. And so, so many times when we think of the cross, we only think of a physical cross and we only think of a physical death. And just like I said at the beginning, do not twist my words. I know the, the potential is there to twist my words. Yes, there was a physical cross. Yes, there was a physical death that had to occur. I find in Christianity, we line up on one side or the other side. So we have all the people over here that only make it about the physical thing that happened. And they completely forsake the wisdom that all those physical things were declaring. So you're either over here with only the wisdom, and you say it's only a belief, and none of these physical things had to happen, or you're over here focusing on all the physical things, and you completely forsake the wisdom or the faith that goes along with all the physical things. You've got to have both. You can't have one or the other. And so yes, there was a physical cross and a physical death that had to occur. And thank God for giving us His Son so we could be lifted up on a pole and we could be healed from the bite of the serpent. But we should not only think of the cross as the place of physical suffering because you ain't going to the place where you think they're suffering. How many of you are lining upside, outside to go to the place of suffering? You spend your whole life trying to avoid pain and suffering. And so who do you think wants you to see the cross as only a place of physical suffering and death? The devil. Who do you think doesn't want you coming to the cross? Because that's where Jesus went and he said, you'll follow me after. And Jesus went to the cross knowing that's the place of meeting with the Father. That's the foundation from where I'm immersed in the presence of the Father. And you're going to follow me. You ain't coming if you think it's a place of suffering. It's the place you meet with the Father. The cross is the place where you partake of the mercy and the grace and the comfort of the Father. The cross is the way to the Father. It's in the midst of the Garden of Eden. It's the bronze altar that was in the earthly tabernacle from where the high priest would come into the presence of the Father. This is the cross. It's the place where you are naked but unashamed because it's the place where the blood of Jesus washes your conscience clean from the body of death and you can be naked and unashamed and come to the meeting place with God in the midst of the garden and walk with him. This is the cross we're talking. See how all those things sound lovely? It's the place where you no longer despise yourself and you're no longer ashamed of what you see in yourself. And you don't think God is either. <laughs> because I promise you, if your heart condemns you, do you know who you think is also condemning you? He sees everything. If what you see you don't like, you immediately think they must not like it either. You ever believe something about yourself that you're convinced everybody else also believes about you? 
You ever notice how your own insecurities, you transpose them onto other people? They don't think the same thing you think. I promise you people are busy worrying about themselves. They do not have the time of day to be analyzing and thinking about you and all your insecurities. The only time they're thinking about you is if they think something you're doing is in the way of them having life and they're still thinking about themselves. <laughs> I'm just being honest, man. Hebrews says Jesus despised the shame of the cross. To connect the scripture, that's Adam naked and unashamed. The shame that tried to come upon him was washed from his conscience because his conscience wasn't corrupted with the body of death that he saw. He wasn't living by the knowledge of good and evil. He was living by the knowledge of the Father and the Father's love. Right? And so, guys, the cross is the place our conscience is washed clean from the body of death that filled us with fear and shame in the presence of the Father. The cross is the place our senses are exercised to discern the way unto life and the way unto death. Jesus showed us the way unto life is not to look strong in the flesh. It's not to look noble. It's not to look wise. He showed us the way unto life isn't found in the good you can gain in the world because he had nothing. He showed us the way unto life to cry out to the Father. He's exercising our senses, right? The cross is the place where we see the world is a deadbeat dad. You know what happens when a kid thinks their dad's a deadbeat? They forsake them. They turn their back on them. The cross is the place where we see the world as a deadbeat dad, always promising us fruit, always promising to clothe us in life, always promising to show up to the big game, but never showing up. We're looking out into the crowd. Where's dad? You see, if you don't see that about the world, you continue to think that the world can be the father that you need. You continue to think the things that are born in the world can be your father, can give you the care that you need. And if you don't see that the world is a deadbeat dad, always promising it can care for you, but never showing up to care for you, you'll never put off the world as your father. And the cross is the place where you put off the world as your father and you cry out to God as your father. The cross is the place where your intimacy is destroyed with the world and the life that the world has fathered. And the cross is the place where you're intimate with the Father of life in heaven and the life he has in himself. The cross gives you a single eye. Jesus said, be single-eyed. And then he described that as not having your treasure where? In earth. He says, how great will the darkness be if your treasure is in earth? So let your treasure be in heaven. And then he says, how great will the light be? He's talking about the Father. Let the Father be your treasure. He goes on to say, you can't have two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other. Or you'll hate the one and love the other. You can't call the world Father and call God Father. And what I mean by calling God Father or calling the world Father, I mean partaking of their life. You'll either love the one or hate the other. And so if you're busy trying to experience life from the world and the corruptible things in the world, it's going to be nearly impossible for you to experience the life of God. And the cross is the place where your senses are exercised. You get a single eye and you begin to see the world does not have the reward that I need. 
And that destroys your intimacy with the life that's in the world. You give up the ghost. You lay down the life you can gain from the world, just like the Lord Jesus on the cross. Now you're following Him. And where you're following Him to is in the presence of the Father. You're coming boldly because you see the reward you need is the Father and the life He has in Himself. And now you're having intimacy with the Father of lights and the life He has in Himself instead of having intimacy with the life that's in the world. You see? That's how the thing works. That's how you partake of life. That's how Jesus is high priest. That's why when I asked you that question in half of your life, what's wrong? Why is he asking these questions? Jesus is the Messiah. My own sweet mother, she loves me. I love my mom that she'll just be honest with me now. She said she heard the first part of that message. She got up and left. She was at home. She couldn't make it to church. She's like, I got up and left. What's the point of that question? Jesus is the Messiah, and that's what it's all about. And so she, she said afterwards, my dad, she went and took a nap, and she, she woke up, and my dad was all excited. you got to listen to that message. And so she's telling me all that, and I'm like, man, I'm glad my mom feels so free that she could tell me she walked out of my message. Hallelujah. That made me happy for my mom. You'd have to know my mom to know what that means to me and how it gets me choked up. But then she starts to cry and she says, you hear from God. <laughs> and yeah, you have to know how much that means to me because my whole life with God began with my mom having a magnificent salvation experience. And as a little boy, all I heard my mom walk around saying was pray the Lord, pray, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The second words out of my mouth was praise the Lord because of what I saw in my mom. And so to have that experience with my mom, it means something. But that's why I asked the question, all this, right? Because you can know intellectually God's your father. But you can't partake of the life of God until you first put off the world and the life that the world is promising you. You can't have two fathers. I know the world says you can. You can't. And so the cross is the place where you, you, you lay down the life the world promises you. You no longer call the world father. You no longer judge your life by the world or what you see in the world or what you have or don't have in the world. That sets you free from the angst and the torment that the world tries to serve you. And what happens is, is in that place, you start partaking with the Father of lights in heaven and you start partaking of his life. The cross does that. Does that make sense? Glory to God. Father, we are a people that maybe don't understand everything all the time. We're a people that maybe get our doctrines screwed up. But Father, we are a people that sincerely want to experience the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of your love. Father, and I just thank you that that's your desire and your will, Lord. And we just pray to you. And we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we just thank you that your Holy Spirit could put on display the cross clearly in the midst of everyone's heart, that they can be intimate with the faith that was in Jesus when he was on the cross, Lord, that they can also find your life manifesting in their bodies as they walk in this earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you guys for being here with me and letting me get that out. I know my custom is to preach long, and it's no small thing to me that you let me do it. Thank you. There's an eternal weight of glory on the Word. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs>